Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to Romans, Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, and I encourage you to take out your notes. I'm going to share with you over these last 30 days uh, of uninterrupted time and time to be with family and the Lord, some of the things that I learned that I believe are applicable to you as much as it is for me. But I start out with a story, and I think about this is so significant in history that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on the same day, July 4th, 1826, 50 years to the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And toward the end of their life together, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were close friends. John Adams wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. He said, Thomas, you and I, we live in serious times. We live in serious times. And of course they did. The colonies were in contention with Britain, taxation without representation, the Boston Tea Party, and of course it ended up with a war. A war that the British should have easily won in a short amount of time, but God reigned his mercy on this country and it was founded and separated from Great Britain and uh, began to establish itself and now has a country that's more than 200 years old that's unrivaled in power and wealth than anywhere else in the world. Think about the blessings of that. And while I think about how they, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, worked through those serious times in their life, they were committed, they were intentional, they were focused. And had they not been, this country would have taken a different turn. You and I, we live in very serious times. I've learned that in some fresh and new ways during the sabbatical. The things I observed out and about and experienced show me this Christ followers we need to see the seriousness and the urgency of the times to live committed lives to the Lord more than ever and to share the gospel knowing that we're going to face pushback, we're going to face rejection. But the point is that we can be used of God to save some from Satan's kingdom of darkness and bring them into light. And that's the sense of urgency that I talk about when we come to this passage in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Paul said this, Besides this you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you will allow it to do the work that you want it to do. Lord, it's not my persuasive words or speech, but it's the power of your Holy Spirit through the word that speaks to our hearts and our lives. Lord, help us to think about Hebrews 4, where the word of God goes right as a double-edged sword and goes right to the heart. Lord, that we would be open to hear from you today. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we talked on the other side uh, in June about what was the purpose of the sabbatical, and I just want to remind you and, and let you know how God used that time. One of the purposes is to, was to rest and spend quality time with uh, my wife and family. So we ended up up at Wisconsin Dells, July 7th through 10th, and, 
And uh, I've got the scrape marks on my knees to prove that we went on the lazy river with the grandkids. They need to make that deeper, you know, as we found out. Uh, that seemed to be the favorite for my grandkids, and I kept scraping my knees. But it was great to spend quality time with them uninterrupted, which doesn't happen very often, especially for that length of time that we've been able to have that opportunity. Then the second part was to go to a pastor's retreat. We went to the pastor's lodge near South Bend, Indiana. It's actually in Buchanan, Michigan, just over the border there. And we spent a week, Diane and I did there, with seven other ministry couples. Ironically, all of us were on sabbatical of some kind. That was interesting. And part of that is to open yourself and make yourself vulnerable to be torn down and to allow God to show you some areas of sin and weakness in your life. And then the second part of the week is to build you back up and help you to uh, be strengthened and overcome those things in your life. And that was a very successful time in doing that as well. Then the third aspect was a study on a subject to bring back to the church family. And I wanted to focus on discipleship. So I read four books and several magazines over the time that I was gone in June. And uh, first of all, I started out a book on relationship, The Friendship Factor by Alex McGinnis, Alan McGinnis. That's a great, great book on relationships. I read a book about how to engage the culture with godly courage, A Call to Courage by Michael Anthony, who was a speaker at Iron Sharpens Iron at Coram Deo Bible Church when they were here in April. I read a book on how to be personally uh, revitalized instead of merely surviving, but thriving and not being overwhelmed at your best by Kerry Niehoff. And lastly, the subject for which I want to talk a little bit about today, discipleship, studying the book Multiply by Francis Chan and uh, the videos that go with that. And uh, Diane and I also visited two area churches while we were gone and interviewed two pastors and uh, got some information on their discipleship in their church and how they're intentional. And then we had the opportunity to go down to Florida for the last uh, week and a half and to just catch up with some friends that we went to school with at Liberty University. So thanks is an inadequate term to say to the leadership and the church family for the opportunity to have this month-long sabbatical. Words cannot express the gratitude because of your investment in my and Diane's well-being and ministry to this church family. Thanks go to Carrie and to Austin and Jeremy and the elders and all who took over the responsibilities this month. I really do believe that I accomplished what God wanted me to do in the month and I come back refocused and re-energized with a new vision and vitality for the ministry that's coming up this fall and even beyond. And I've learned how over the course of this time I'm going to work more efficiently and take care, more care of myself as a whole person. So I want to share four things with today with you on the outline. And the application is not only to me, but it, it applies to you as well as we think about these things. First of all, personal vitality. I think it's so important in the world that we live in now, with all the chaos and the technology and the things that are grabbing at our attention, that we have to be intentional about being personally vitalized, to take care of ourselves, be filled with vitality. First of all, positive self-talk. I think that's so important. One of the things that I was reminded of again, and I shared in January in a sermon, is there's always a conversation going on with our human spirit and our mind. Think about when you wake up in the morning, or sometimes some of the things that pop into your mind, you wonder, where did that all come from? 
Well, that's something inside of you speaking to you. And David said in Psalm 42, he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to his soul, his spirit being. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Martin Lord Jones, who was a pastor of yesteryear, spoke about this verse and how David is talking to his spirit. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them, but there they are talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man, David's treatment in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God, is what David said. So you and I, we need to speak to those voices that sometimes come our way. And use scripture. Here's an example. Listen, self, listen up. If God is for you, who can be against you, self? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for you, self. Will he not freely give you all things if he gave you Jesus? Who shall bring any charge against you, God's elect? It's God who justifies self. No, it's Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised. He's at the right hand of God and he's praying for you, self. Who, what can separate you from the love of God? We have to speak to those uh, negative things that crop up and creep up in our lives. And then the other thing that was really helpful during our pastor's retreat is to practice the art of solitude. Solitude. In other words, getting alone, removing all distractions. And uh, the speaker, Del Faisenfeld, talked about doing it for five minutes, several times in a week, just setting aside five minutes to do nothing else. And so we're gonna practice here in just a minute for one minute, one minute of solitude. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna ask God to speak to you, to pull yourself back from being distracted and stay focused on God. And pick on something as a picture, like God is my rock, God is my fortress, God is a, a stronghold. I hide under the wings like an eagle in Psalm 91. Get a picture of God and don't let your thoughts turn to the negative. You see, the natural thing is when we get alone with God is we turn to the negative right away. The speaker told us to affirm what's going well in your life and confirm what needs to be worked on without the first responsibility being judgmental. So one of the, challenge, one of the challenges given to us was to do that, to put away phones, have no background noise, and just have a period of solitude in our lives. So let's take one minute, get ready. We're going to start one minute. I want you to close your eyes and just focus on God for 60 seconds.
Okay, time is up. Think about how you had to pull back maybe from distractions that wanted to pull you away from thinking about God. Del Faisenfeld said it took him months to get to where he could do that for five minutes. So it's a practice. It's an art. It's something you have to work at. But the good thing is it gets you more centered upon God and centered upon what's going to be ahead for your day, the time ahead. One of the challenges given to us as ministry leaders and pastors at the retreat was to learn how to thrive and not merely survive in life. And if you're like me, maybe you're a type A personality and you're always on the go and somebody says to you, well, how's it going? He said, well, it's really, really busy, but I'm sure it's going to get better. And then you check back with me in a month. Yeah, it's really busy. It's just going to get better down the road, right? And that's what we think sometimes if we're driven and we're very busy. But, but this leader told us that we need to learn how to thrive and not just survive and to deal with our emotions, our physical body, and our spiritual life. On the screen, you see this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's in your notes. I encourage you to go home and study it and memorize it because it's a powerful verse. Paul says as a benediction to the Thessalonian church as he's writing the first letter to them, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know we've talked a lot about this in a couple of messages this year, but as we think about that, what are we doing to make sure that we're exercising, that we're eating right, that we're sleeping right, that we have hobbies, a downtime to balance our life out, to be all that the person God created us to be and to serve him. It says in that verse up there, sanctify, which means to set apart. And, you know, as Christians, we tend to emphasize the spiritual aspect, but he's also talking about the word completely. He's telling about all parts of our body. Some believe we're made of three parts. Some believe two. But in this instance, we're talking about three parts. Paul said completely sanctify your spirit, which is your mental and emotional health, your soul, your spiritual health, and your, your body, your physical being that houses the Holy Spirit. All these are intertwined to make us the spirit-filled person that God created us to be. We need to be uh, taking care of all those areas of our life to be all that God intended for us to do. And I encourage you to examine these, the areas of your life and make changes as necessary, the spirit, the body, the soul. It may require saying no to the things that are good for the things that are better or best, for example. And there are those who don't have that type of personality where you're driven or overwhelmed with things. Maybe your issue is you're wrapped up in your comfort zone. And maybe you need to assert yourself a little more to get involved in ministries in the church, to use your, your gifts and your talents that God has given you. But the point is to seek to thrive, to seek vitality in your life, and try to take maybe five days a week and set aside a minute or two to just be quiet before the Lord, and even build up to five minutes to see what God is saying to you. Second of all, under personal vitality, is focus on the things to put on from the Bible more than the put-offs. Now, as a pastor, I often talk about all the things that we need to deal with in our life in the areas of sin, and that's important. But we need to also balance it, and God does in his word, by confirming areas that need attention, we need to also talk about things that are being put on in our life. And I think it's important as we think about our Christian life that we work on one area at a time. 
And when you do that, and when you get into the word and you're focused on this one area and you're meditating, you're seeking accountability, that pretty soon you'll see victory in that area. And there's many things in my life that over time become second nature. I don't have to think about it again because the Spirit has helped me overcome those things in my life. So I encourage you to work on one area at a time and to develop a new habit and see that it will become a a part of your life very easily. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul said, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as a truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here's the key, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, just like Romans 12, 2, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, we have to put off, we have to put off the sin. We have to admit and confess our sin and make sure that we are dealing with that. That's important because we have a sinful nature. And our default mode when we have something happen to us is that we default to sin and not the spirit. But Paul's saying here, though, as we take off the old clothes, we're putting on with the help of the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit living in our life and the power of the word of God and the power of prayer, putting on the new clothes, Clothes that are like God's clothes, true righteousness and true holiness. Next week, when we get back to 2 Peter 1, we're going to review some of the character qualities in that chapter. But realize that they were given to us because we have a divine nature, as it's said in 2 Peter 1. The divine nature gives us the ability to put these things on in our lives. The third thing under personal vitality is be committed to honoring the Sabbath. I spoke July 19th on WDLM and I made that the topic. What is the Sabbath and how should the New Testament believer uh, deal with the Sabbath? And you can go to WDLM and look that up and hear the 15 minutes there. But I just want to touch on this, but it's important. I was reminded at the pastor's retreat the importance of taking 16 hours of wake time for a day off from work. We sleep eight, so we should have about 16 hours to uh, enjoy a day that's set apart for rest. It's interesting that nine of the Ten Commandments, as I studied this, are moral laws that are applicable and to be obeyed by us New Testament Christ followers. But the one that's not required, that's not a moral law, but a ceremonial law, is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a law for the time of the Jews. Jesus said in Mark's Gospel that he is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man to rest, to worship, to be with family, and to be more productive the other six days of the week. Long story short and more for you to study is that we are responsible as temples who are holders of the Holy Spirit to take care of our body, soul, and spirit. And one of those is to set aside a day, a time that you can honor God by doing that, by resting. So here's the application for you and for me. Let the gospel fill your whole being, body, soul, and spirit. The whole gospel. The gospel is concerned about your physical body, your mental and emotional state, as well as your spiritual condition before God. Don't neglect any of those things. Second, in reading Michael Anthony's book, A Call to Courage, I was challenged to take number two, bold steps of faith. Bold steps of faith. 
He talked about bold speech. He talked about being, uh, having a, an attitude of humble courage in talking with people in our culture. In Ephesians 4.15, a verse you're very familiar with, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking with humility, but courageously. If we don't speak up and push back on the current in the stream of the culture we're in, we're going to become even more marginalized. And we know, we know if this is truly the end times, that that's going to be the natural approach as God's moving to bring judgment upon this world. And, but, it, but it may not be the time, and it may be that God sends revival, and that's what I'm praying for. But we need to be strong proponents to let people know what we believe and what we are for, and that's important. I was overjoyed yesterday when I was looking at uh, some news feed. Jim Harbaugh, maybe you saw it, the coach of the Michigan Wolverines football team. He was interviewed by ESPN. <clears throat> He's a devout Catholic. He's a strong supporter of pro-life, does pro-life fundraisers. In the interview, he said to the commentator, he said this, I tell my coaches, my staff, my football players, anybody around them, that if somebody has an un unwanted pregnancy, to have the baby full term. He says, if you don't want to adopt it and you don't have the wherewithal to take care of it, my wife Sarah and I, we have a big house, we will take that baby and raise that baby. Talk about somebody who's putting their mouth where their money is. That was a great, great example of someone who's willing to stand for something for the gospel and for the life of unborn children. John Stone Street, in his commentary on July 27th, entitled, What Not of the World Doesn't Mean Why Christians Are Called to Politics, some of the reasons that people say Christians should not be involved in politics are these. Christians should stop seeking political control and power and just focus on winning the lost. Now, I'll pause there before I share the other two and say that, yeah, the number one thing is that we're in the business of sharing the gospel and the greatest thing that could happen is that somebody gets their hearts transformed by the Spirit of God, and they're changed. And that'll change a lot of things in how they view the world and culture. But as Christians, some people say we shouldn't be involved in politics. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, so Christians should stay out of government. Another excuse, neither Jesus nor the early Christians tried to take over Rome. He built his kingdom in people's hearts and minds. And those are true statements. But first, for most of church history, Christians have agreed that civil laws should in some way reflect biblical morality. I think of the Apostle Paul when he was beaten in the Philippian jail and they were going to release him. He says, I appeal to my rights as a Roman citizen. He used his rights in the context of the culture he lived in. Second, when Jesus said, my kingdom is not in, the world, in this world, he did not mean my kingdom has nothing to do with this world. He meant this kingdom in this world does not use the world's methods such as violent revolution and does not aim at the world's ends. Third, if you're not involved with what is going on in the making of laws, policies, and executive orders, you're allowing someone else's morality to prevail in legislation. So we need to be humble in our courage to speak out of the things that intersect with the Bible like abortion, like gender identity, like some of these key issues that are in our culture today. So we need to have bold prayers, bold prayers, bold prayers as well. I watched uh, 
The best man at my wedding, he came down with his wife and met with us. We hadn't seen them for five years. And last Sunday, we watched uh, his pastor, former pastor, Ron Silva, on YouTube, Church of Springs, Ocala. And he talked about bold prayers claiming the promises of God. And we're faithful, very faithful in our church to pray for the physical and spiritual needs of our people. But hear me, we need to have bold prayers claiming the promises of God to meet the needs of those in our community as well, to turn the hearts of the mayor and the city council, to pray for those that are around us, that send their kids to school, parents and their needs and all those things because many, many people are lost. And then we need to have a bold faith, a bold personal faith. We need to take bigger steps of faith in our walk with Christ. We need to, to step out and, and, and let you know, develop some, some big goals in our personal lives. Um, we're called to serve and use our spiritual gifts and talents for Christ and to reach and impact others to be more like Jesus. Yet some of us are reluctant to get involved here at the church. You know, since um, we've pretty much come back, we still have COVID around us, but we've pretty much come back from when we shut down a couple years ago. We don't do everything we used to do. But one of the interesting things to me is that as we've come back, uh, we have people who used to volunteer that aren't volunteering now to be involved in ministry. And we have areas that need to be filled, de desperately need to fill some leadership roles and some voluntary positions. And we have ways to equip and train anyone for serving the Lord here at the church. Some of you aren't trusting God with the giving, with the tithe, the 10%. And remember in Malachi, he said, test me on this. The only place in the Bible where God says, test me on this. And he says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out abundant blessings upon your life if you will take the challenge and step out on bold faith in the area of giving. Others of us here need to continue to be bold in sharing our faith, to keep being faithful and inviting others to Jesus. We need more than ever Christ followers who have bold speech, bold prayers, and to step out on the promise of God with bold faith. Our application is this. Let the Spirit of God fill you with a heart of humility and courage. That's what I loved about that book. Humble courage in love, speaking the truth, what we are for, not always about what we are against. And I think that will make a difference because people see that there's the light of Christ within us. Let the Spirit of God fill you with the heart of humility and courage. Another thing I was reminded of and is a frequent challenge from me from this pulpit. It's interesting as I go to these churches, they say these same things, to live on mission to make disciples. The two churches we visited, Edgewood Baptist and Word of Life Christian Center, they both had some real focus in their service about intentional discipleship. I listened to Austin's three sermons. I listened to Aaron's messages. And I referenced, I watched uh, my friend's service online. And one of the themes of all these things I've heard and visited is that we need to be reminded that we're living our lives on mission for God. We're to be a life-saving station, a hospital with an emergency room to meet the needs of others who are in desperate need of Christ. Too many churches that I've seen are turning into country clubs where all they want to do is take care of themselves and look inward. But Christ has commanded us to look outward, to see that the fields are ripe unto harvest. 
One of the things I confess that I or we don't do well as leaders is to be intentional with our discipleship. We have means to do it, but we haven't been as intentional as I would like. And as I interviewed one pastor, one of the things I thought was interesting, he says, overarching goal for any discipleship process was one thing, to teach someone how to read the word of God, to study it for themselves, to be able to be discerning and to faithfully feed themselves. That rings true for me. I remember when I was 15 years old, I'd only been a Christian for a year. And I went to this small Bible study and they pulled out this thing called the Word of Life Quiet Time Diary from Word of Life Ministries in Scroon Lake, New York. And Greg O'Dell and John Cartwright, who was the coach of the Liberty football team at the time, were the leaders of this group. And they taught us as teenagers how to spend time alone in God's word on a daily basis. And I'll tell you, I am so grateful because now at 64 years of age, I rarely miss a day where I'm not in God's word. That will deter people straying away. That will uh, keep the relationship with the Heavenly Father where it needs to be. And that's what we need to be pursuing. So very soon we'll be providing opportunities to have a small group or one-on-one mentoring relationship to help people grow and become disciple makers. Now, why is that important? Well, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17 And Dennis Bland was just sharing with me this morning as I came in about his trip to Africa and how he went to these unreached people groups and how they didn't even have, they were illiterate, right? And all they had was an audio version of the Bible and how they came to faith in Christ. Think about these verses in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As I shared not long ago uh, in the men's breakfast when we talked about evangelism, there's no plan B. You know, he's not going to write the gospel across the sky He's not going to send angels. It's you and I, you and I to share until Jesus comes and then the sharing ends. So evangelism and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. They're interconnected. You can never expect a new believer to feed themselves, just like you would never see a newborn baby that's a few days old and you set it in a bassinet and say, okay, feed yourself. We would never do that. That's cruel. And so we are to disciple people. Notice it says we're responsible to share the hope and faith that's within us clearly, but verse 16 said in that passage, not all obeyed the gospel. So we expect pushback, and we remember always that it is God who does the saving. We need to be available and willing to share our faith. So in this matter of of developing, uh, doing discipleship with Life on Mission, We see, first of all, we need to have obedience-based discipleship. The ones that are effective are those that practice, put into practice what they're learning right away. I think too many times we give a lot of knowledge, which is great. But there's a Paul, there's a Timothy, there's a Titus. There's a process in going out and practicing and using what you're learning. There's intentional building of disciples. Develop a process to move people to maturity 
and have accountability with it. More on that in the future. And then mentoring others to make disciples. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see a picture up there of a baton. I coached junior high track for a couple of years. I was in charge of the short distance runners and we did the four by 100 relay. And one of the most important things that you teach those kids is that there's only a 10 yard span that you can hand off the baton or you're disqualified. The other thing you never do is you never look back to see where the baton is because that split second, that fraction of a second can mean the difference between first, second, or third place. So that runner behind with the hand outreach with the runner in front looking forward has to have a perfect handoff every time to pass the baton on. You and I, we are to pass the baton of faith on to those around us, especially the younger generation. We have a responsibility to do that. And so we're going to need a few men and women who help us out in this process of being leaders to disciples others. And we have material ready to get started. We have a process to discuss with our elders of making some changes. But the goal is that when someone completes whatever we have available there, we celebrate that and then encourage them to take on someone else. This is what builds future uh, leaders, disciples, and fills in the volunteer ministry needs of our church. But this is not a ministry or program. This should be what the church is all about as we think about our vision, connect, grow, and serve. Stay tuned for details on intentional discipleship. So our application, you, for me and you, for how we're going to carry this out, let us understand that the way we grow in the grace and knowledge of God is through obedience. Do you want to know God more? Obey what you already know and then God will give you more knowledge of him. And then you obey more of that, and he reveals more of himself to you. That's how you grow in the faith. The last point leads us naturally to this final thought that God has been working on me to focus on, even before I went on my Sabbath, is developing new leaders and equipping current leaders. We need to develop new leaders and equip current leaders. We're in great need of volunteers and leaders of a variety of ministries. There are ministries that are being led by our elders that should have a ministry leader under them and they should have the oversight. The elders are to do the, some ministry, but primarily be equippers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. The elders are the equippers and uh, the trainers and do some of the ministry alongside. We have a need for a leader to be the leader of our missions team, someone to oversee our men's ministry on Thursday night and the men's breakfast. We need someone who would be willing to step in and be overseeing some of these, uh, what I call community events, the fire and fellowship. The, the ice cream social with the game night, these types of things. There's not a lot of responsibility, but someone to take leadership. We need more greeters available to help us at the doors. Operation Christmas Child, we've got that coming up, and we could use a point person for that. 
Someone could do a far better job than myself as a WANA commander, and I'd be willing to help someone learn how to take on that role. But we also need elders, we need deacons, we need deaconesses, and I know that those take uh, unique callings and character qualities as well. But what kind of leaders and volunteers are we looking for here at our church? First of all, passionate, spiritually gifted leaders. When I came here, that was the exciting thing is they emphasized uh, Jeff Shear and the team, uh, the elders at that time, that we're moving away from elected positions for the Christian Ed Board and all these trustees and various things. We want to have ministry teams that are based on people who are passionate for that area of ministry but spiritually gifted. And that has worked so well over the years that I've been here. And so um, we need passionately gifted spiritual leaders. 1 Corinthians 12 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You are given your gifts, your talents, with the purpose of sharing them for the common good of the body of Christ and even to reach out to our community. Second of all, we need the kind of leaders who are willing to stand in the gap to make an impact eternally, to stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22:30 says, God says, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach, or in the King James Version, the gap, before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. No one was willing to step up into the role of being the spiritual leader that God was calling for in the book of Ezekiel. He couldn't find anybody to stand in the gap on behalf of his people. We need people who are willing to be a leader and take the, the, the responsibility to find the joys and blessings of leading, to be willing to take even the criticism from time to time and stand for God on behalf of his people. The church desperately needs godly leaders who will stand, who have character and lead. And then thirdly, receive the authority and resources to lead. This is so important. I've been in churches where they ask people to serve and then don't give them a budget, don't give them authority, don't give them the ability to be creative in their ministry opportunity. We provide training resources, we give people in the lead of these ministry opportunities the authority to carry out the ministry with their creativity, their talents, their spiritual gifts. We've already developed job descriptions and purpose statements for all of our ministries. This is a plea for people this fall to step up to the plate and to get involved. Maybe you're involved in some way now, or maybe you aren't, but we need, to help. we need help filling in these gaps. So here's the application. Ask God if he's calling you to take the lead in an area of ministry in our church or to be a volunteer. We can always use more Awana listeners. We certainly need more help on Sunday morning with our kids downstairs in the nursery. There's lots and lots of little things that most of us in this room can do. The last thing I'll say in closing here is that what has struck me over the last month as I've been to Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Florida is the depravity of our culture. So I listened to Austin preach on Lamentations, and he did a great job preaching on the depravity of man, the depth of sin, and how that affects God and how it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. That was so important that he preached on that. But there's so much truth in that as I'm out and about and seeing people all over this country. I've talked to people in ministry whose adult children are far from God. Two of our friends who have been in or are in ministry 
uh, their sons have gone into the gay lifestyle like one of our sons has as well. I see people all around are seemingly not open to the gospel, but wrapped up deeply into the things of this world. And it breaks my heart to see how deceived and how blinded by Satan people are. We truly need to pray intentionally for people, pray for the families in our church, and pray for the prodigal children that some of us have in this building. As I said at the outset, we're living in serious times. It's going to take intentionality, focus, and commitment to Christ no matter what comes our way, to be mature disciples of Christ who make other disciples who become leaders in our church. So here's our key thought, the takeaway. Are we thriving in our walk with Christ by passionately using the gifts and talents God has given to each of us? Thriving and passionately, are we using those gifts? That's important to know. In my devotion yesterday, One of the books I'm reading from Daily Bread, Stand Strong for Men, said during the Bosnian War, 1992 to 1996, more than 10,000 people were killed in the city of Sarajevo as gunfire and mortar rounds rained down from the surrounding hills. Now listen closely. Stephen Galloway's gripping novel, The Cellist of Sarajevo, unfolds here. The book follows three fictional characters who must decide if they will become self-absorbed in their struggle to survive, to just focus on themselves, or will somehow rise above their numbing circumstances to help others during great adversity. We do need to care for ourselves, but we also need to look beyond ourselves, beyond the walls of this church, and look at the need and the responsibility that we have to reach those around us. Walt Kelly has a famous... uh, cartoon, and you've heard of it, Pogo, and there it is. The little guy looks in the mirror, we have met the enemy and he is us. I'm challenging you this week to look into the perfect law of liberty, as it says in James 1, the word of God, and allow God to speak to you and to show you what things in your life that God needs to work on. Three questions and then we'll pray. I want you to think about this week. And I put these in here every week, and I noticed Aaron did this as well, for you to take home, put by your bedstand, stick in your Bible, and think about it. It reminds you some of the things that were in the sermon this week. First of all, are you intentional about taking care of yourself first before taking care of others? That's very important. Do you see, second of all, the importance of making disciples who make other disciples, and are you actively pursuing that with other people? whether that be the kids in your family, the grandkids. Legacy Coalition has great resources to help grandparents. Anywhere that you can to make an impact, whether it's in Awana or in Sunday school here at the church. And thirdly, is there an area of ministry in our church where you feel led to take the lead? I'm calling and challenging you to think about that and pray about that. And if there is uh, an opportunity that you would like to pursue, Please see myself or Carrie or one of our elders, and we'll be glad to help equip you, give you the resources to help us uh, with the needs that we have here at church. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this extended time. I think the greatest gift of sabbatical is the time. I thank you for the 30 days of uninterrupted time that I couldn't have scripted, but you planned and You ordained, and I just thank you for all the things that you've 
allowed for us to experience and to learn. And I pray that some of these things will rub off and then and they'll be applicable to the people in this room, that we would realize the seriousness of the times we're in, that this is no joking matter, that 154,000 people on planet Earth die every day and head into eternity. That's something that makes me, keeps giving me a burden for the lost, Lord. There's people all around us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to... Um, Share our faith, but help us to then be disciple makers who in turn will make other disciple makers. And then we can make that the future and legacy of our church even more. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.